every evening out the door. Every day with you is sweeter, sweeter than the day before. Sweeter than the day before. Sweeter than the day before. Welcome. Why don't you turn to each other, shake hands, say hi to somebody. And be glad in it. And I won't worry about 
about tomorrow Giving you my fears and sorrows Where you lead me I will follow I'm trusting in what you say Today is the day Today is the day Today is the day singing. You may be seated. The cross before you, the world behind no turning back, raise the banner high. It's not for me, it's all for you. Let the heavens shake and split the sky. Let the people clap their hands and cry. It's not for us, it's all for you. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Our hearts unfold before your throne, the only place for those who know. It's not for us, it's all for you. Send your holy fire on this offering. Let our worship burn for the world to see. It's not for us, it's all for you. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Not to us, but to your name. The glory, not to us, but to your name, be the glory, not to us, but to your name, be the glory. The earth is shaking, the mountains shouting, it's all for you. The waves are crashing, the sun is raging, it's all for you. The universe spinning and singing, it's all for you. Your children dancing, 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 it's all for you. The earth is shaking, the mountains shouting, it's all for you. The waves are crashing, the sun is raging. It's all for you. The universe spinning and singing. It's all for you. Your children dancing, dancing, dancing. 
it's all for you. It's all for you. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. To us, but to your name be the glory, not to us. Deepest desire. 
so much. Well, it's good to see you today in the Lord's house. Uh, this is summertime. If you're happy to be here, say amen. amen. This is the, like the dog days of summer. You know, the dog's laying out on the front porch. He can't move. He's stuck there. Please reach in the book rack right there in front of you somewhere and pull out one of our little friendship folders, one of those black folders. And if you'll be so kind to put your name on that today and give it to somebody next to you, we'd appreciate that a lot. Uh, next Sunday uh, is our Ecuador Sunday. And so we've given uh, all the people who traveled to Ecuador ample time to rest up. So they're going to come back in force next Sunday. Uh, and after this service next Sunday, we're going to have lunch for everybody uh, over in the gym. And so we're going to have some American food. And then I think we'll have a few dishes from Ecuador just to kind of spice it up a little bit. So you plan uh, to stay next Sunday after the service and enjoy a time of fellowship with us uh, for Ecuador. Some of our people are in New York City uh, this morning. Uh, Ken and Rhonda are there and a few other people with them. And, uh, of course, Dane Demchek uh, is getting married today in New York City. Uh, Josh Watts is doing the wedding. I found that interesting. Josh is going to do the wedding. He's going to marry Dane and Lindsay. Uh, and uh, Lindsay is a pastor's daughter. We call those people PK, uh, preacher's kids. So she's the pastor's daughter up there. So they're having the wedding service today in New York City. And so then they're going to some island somewhere. He told me, he says, I don't know where it is, but we're going to some island. That's not the way it used to be when people got married, but it is now. I said, how long are you going to be gone? He says, oh, about nine days. Well, in the Bible, you know, when somebody got married, they, left, they, they didn't have to go to work for a year. So they gave them a good long time to, uh, I guess you'd call it adjustment. But uh, you think of them today, and this is a happy day for uh, Dane and uh, Lindsay. Let's stand together as our ushers come this morning and we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. We thank you so much for your faithfulness each week. I know that you come in each week and you look on the back of the courier and, and you see how we did the last week and we're praising the Lord uh, for last week's offering. I appreciate your faithfulness. Uh, it means a lot to us. Let's thank the Lord now for his faithfulness. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day which you've given to us, and we don't take it for granted that you've given us a means of income, a job, uh, a way to support our family. And now, Lord, we come to support your family, uh, all the missionaries that we support around the world, and uh, the work that we do here on the Hill. We thank you, God, for laying upon the hearts of your people to, to give for your name. We pray now that as we give, that you'll open up the windows of heaven and bless those uh, who give with a cheerful heart today. Bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Call out your name Something in 
Everything rides on hope now. And everything rides on faith somehow. When the world has broken me down, your love sets me free. When my life is like a storm, rising. Waters, all I want is the shore. It'll be everything you are, my shelter from the storm. Oh, and everything rides on hope now. And everything rides on. Bibles this morning, please, to the book of James in the New Testament, the book of James. Today we're going to take a look at chapter 3 as we kind of continue our journey. I ask you to think of uh, several of our members today. You know, every week in our church people have uh, all sorts of physical issues that they're dealing with. Uh, please pray with me this afternoon for Nancy Brynake. Uh, Nancy's in Mon City Hospital. Pray with me that the Lord will stabilize her heart condition. She had a couple stints put in, and, and her heart is kind of whacked out. So would you write that name down, Nancy Brynig? And uh, think of that this afternoon with me so that God will, like, stabilize her heart so she can come home. And also for Harry Anton, Jr. Harry is in Jefferson Hospital. Uh, with kind of a real scary uh, diagnosis. 
And so uh, if you will think of Harry today, we don't know exactly the details, but uh, think of the whole Anton family right now. Okay, uh, chapter 3 of James, um, I'd like to talk to you today about letting God control what we say. You know, what we say is so important, and half the time we seldom think about what we say, we just say it. And then uh, we pay the price, and uh, others pay the price too. And so James here is talking about something very practical, and that's what comes out of our mouth. And so he begins in verse number one. He says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now, James himself is a teacher. He is the, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. A pretty heady job. Uh, the center of our Christian faith, Jerusalem. And uh, he's saying to people, listen, don't jump up and down about volunteering to be a teacher. You've got to think this over. Knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. In other words, the standard is higher in the church for teachers than for other people in the church. Then he goes on and he takes, kind of, takes a little bit of the edge off of that statement in verse number 2. And it says, for we all stumble in many ways. Those are the kind of verses I like because, because that, uh, that says to you and me, listen, we're human. We are human. We make mistakes. And he includes himself in it right here. He says, listen, we all stumble. We all mess up. And then he says, in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect or mature person able also to bridle the whole body. There is a unique correlation between the tongue and the body. And so he says, listen, you can tell if a person is mature by what comes out of their mouth usually. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is mature, able also to bridle the body. Now, this is a profound statement. It really is because uh, we don't seldom look at it like that. Indeed, we put bits in horse's mouths that they may obey us, and we turn the whole body. And his thesis here is this, is something small controls something big. And then he goes on, and he says, look at the ships. All they, they're large and are driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder. Wherever the pilot desires. Again, the analogy of a ship. Relatively speaking, the rudder is so small compared to the size of the big ship. So it could be an aircraft carrier, a battleship, uh, an ocean liner. Uh, the rudder that aims that ship in the right direction is very small. Small things do big things. Small things are not to be overlooked. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and it boasts great things, seeing how great a forest a little fire kindles. A spark, just a spark, a flippant cigarette out the window of a car 
can create the most horrendous devastation and damage uh, known anywhere. And so, uh, and so he says the tongue is like that. It's devastating. It creates damage. It takes away things in its path. It's so small. Uh, it's a little member. And in verse 6 he says the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. The source of a lot of hellish talk is from hell. That's where it comes from. And every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Uh, with it we bless our God. And this is the tongue, the inconsistency of the tongue right here. With it we bless our God the Father and with it we curse men. It's amazing how inconsistent sometimes we can be. You know, we come to church and we say, okay, let's praise God. And then we get in the car and, holy cow, what happened? We bless our God and with our tongue we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Uh, does a spring send forth fresh water or bitter from the same opening? Now, here he goes to nature, uh, where there's some water coming up out of the ground. Does it, does it have two sources, or is it just one? Can a fig tree, brethren, bear olives? Now, we know the answer to that, right? Or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Letting God control what you say. That's what James is talking about here. You know, chapter 2 talks about faith and works, and for those of you who were here... Remember, we talked about that whole thing of we have to show our faith by what we do because if we don't do anything, what good is our faith? You know, and James says, faith without works is what? It's dead, right? I mean, uh, we have a dead faith if it doesn't work. One of the works that, that, that was so important for these people back during this time was the work of being a teacher in the church. Uh, they had churches, of course, I'm sure a little bit different than us, but, the, you know, human nature doesn't change a lot. Uh, they didn't have Bibles in their hands like you have today, and they couldn't take it home and read it like that, like you do. And so they depended heavily on the teacher to get up and to explain the things of God to them. And so that was a very, very important work in the church back during that day. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by what? Hearing, right? And hearing by the word of God. So these people were basically just hearers. That's it. You know, they didn't have a, like a big Bible. They could like tote home and say, okay, let's study the Bible now. Uh, and so when they came to church, their learning came through audio. It came through the ears. And I th understand that they had great powers to remember things, you know. We forget things easily and we go home and we say, oh, I know where it's somewhere. Get the concordance out, you know, or put it in the computer. We'll find it. But they had great powers to remember things. 
And so what happened is they looked upon the teacher as somebody that was there to really help them grow in faith. Teacher was important to them. But, but what he says here is, listen, be very cautious, conscientious about wanting to be a teacher because the standard is higher. And one of these days, uh, accountability uh, will come to pass, maybe not in this life, but for sure in the next life. And that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 4, 4 and 5. Let's read this. My conscience is clear, but that isn't what matters. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So be careful not to jump to conclusions before the Lord returns as to whether or not someone is faithful. When the Lord comes, he will bring our deepest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. You know, one of these days, every one of us must stand before the judgment seat of Christ as a Christian. And that's where the Lord sifts through all the work and all the activity that you have engaged in as a Christian. And he uh, gives you rewards for those things in your life which you've done with the right motive. And I've said this before in our church, that there are many things in my life that I did for the wrong motive. I did simply because I love to do the work rather than uh, loving the Lord in the proper way in which I should. And so the Lord knows how to sift through all of that. We can't, and that's what Paul says, listen, uh, don't jump to conclusions about this. The Lord's coming back, and when he comes back, he's going to analyze our private motives. And he's going to give to each one whatever praise is due. And so that's what James is talking about right here. There's going to be a stricter accountability and judgment for a teacher uh, in the church. Uh, teachers in the church are important. They were vitally important, especially in that day. Remember in Acts chapter 13, uh, in the Gentile church there in Antioch, the Bible says there were prophets and teachers. They were like the two almost preeminent offices in the church. Well, teachers are important in the church. It's important to sit at the feet of those who have studied and prepared, to inspire us, to fill in the gaps in our spiritual life, and to challenge us to be students as well. And that's what every good teacher will do. A good teacher won't stand up just to parade information. That's the easy part. Just to parade information so that when people go out of the class and say, wow, did you hear that? I've had people go out and they said, Pastor, that sermon that you preached today should be in print. And I say, it is. Where do you think I got it? You know, uh, all these things are in print. Teachers are important in the church. Uh, they fill in the gaps. Uh, they challenge people to be students of the word. One of the main purposes of a teacher in the church is, is encouragement. And that's, that's my goal. Because remember in our little thing that we're praying through every day, you know, um, let, well, people will really keep the priority of the church in the proper place in their life. Uh, 
It says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but encouraging one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. The purpose of coming to church is to encourage each other. What's that mean? That means to lift each other up. Say, listen, I know you've had a bad week. Get up. Come on, we're all going through the same issues. And you say, okay, I'm not the only one out there getting beat up. The rest of the people in the church are getting beat up too. And so I guess I can handle it another week. That's a teacher is to encourage each other in that, in that respect. Uh, teachers produce other teachers. 2 Timothy 2.2 is a favorite verse of some. Let's read it. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The ministry of teaching has, was established a long, long time ago, and it goes on. It'll be around when we leave. And so what we're supposed to do is to gather faithful people, faithful's the key, and give them the information and uh, hopefully that they will stand up one day and teach others also. Uh, in every generation, teachers are important. Teachers of biblical things. Verse number two, it says, For we all stumble in many things. We make mistakes. Some of the biggest mistakes, though, are the things that we, the mistakes that we make when we're speaking. When we're speaking. How many times have you said something and you said, oh, Did I say that? Holy cow. I hope nobody heard that. You know, once it's out, it's out, right? It's gone. You can't, like, say, Okay, come on back here. I retract that statement. We can retract all we want to retract, but the statement's floating around. Words have power. Look over to chapter 1, verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. What's the next statement? Slow to speak. Wow. That's important. Slow to speak. Someone said one time that Calvin Coolidge said this, I have never been hurt by anything I did not say. That's kind of profound, isn't it? He didn't have to apologize for anything he didn't say. But how many times have we had to apologize for things we've said or we didn't apologize? Psalm 39.1 says, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth. I will muzzle my mouth. You know why? Because the, of the power of the tongue is tremendous. The Bible seems to imply here that our life is managed by the tongue. Now, this is a little bit deeper than I can think on this Sunday morning. Our life is managed by the tongue. Somebody says, I'll go to college. And what do they do? They go to college. Somebody says, I'll get back at you. And what happens? They get back at them, right? So there is this unique correlation, connection, between what we say and how we act in our life, and then it affects the lives of other people too. And so what he does is he uses some illustrations here, some metaphors. First of all, the bit in the mouth of the horse uh, this big horse is turned by this small bit. This horse has a wild nature. 
It wants to run. But here the person grabs a hold of the horse and takes that big giant animal and turns that person or that horse in the direction they want to go. The sh ship. The helmsman at, on, in the ship can take, that, can take that ship to crash it on the rocks or lead it into the harbor. The raging fire is devastating. Our tongue has started many a fires, hasn't it? What makes the bit and the rudder work? It's a strong hand. It's a hand that's stronger than the horse or the ship. Verse number 5 is interesting to me as a speaker because look what it says. Even so the tongue is a little member, it boasts great things. This is always the temptation of a speaker to be a little bit boastful, to make things a little bit bigger. You've been to services from time to time and uh, you have, uh, you've heard speakers and they're speaking and uh, you heard the story and you say 20 years later, 20 years later you hear the story again and you say, boy, that story is a lot better now than it used to be. The speaker has done what to it? What's the word? Em embellished. He made the speaker, the story got a lot better as it grew, as it grew on. And so there is this tendency for every public speaker to be braggadocious. Uh, and so, look, that's what he says right here. The tongue is a little member, but it boasts great things. The tongue influences for good or evil. The tongue is a dangerous power that you and I wield. And the Bible says here, and this is interesting in verse number 6, the last part, it's set on fire by hell. Now, some of you have been on the giving end and the taking end of some hellish words, haven't you? You've been worked over by somebody or you've worked over somebody and you've said, holy cow, that's the most vile, vulgar thing I've ever heard. Well, that's the Bible says that the source of the danger of the tongue is hell. And hell is a bad place. Set on fire by hell, there's a never-ending resource of evil there. The well never runs dry. Out of some mouths spew venomous things. Hell knows no limits of evil, does it? I, I have sometimes an opportunity to counsel people, husbands and wives that are trying to keep their marriage together. And in our world, it's harder and harder to do that. And, uh, and in our culture today, there are more dysfunctional people than ever before. This is not the Aussie and Harriet generation. This is not the kids, the boys and the girls that were raised in the neighborhood when TV was discovered. And so these kids that are growing up and marrying today have more problems than you could dream of. And they have been through more muck and mire than some of us in this church could ever think to go through. And every now and then I'll be talking to a husband and wife and they'll be telling me what they say to each other. And I'm almost horrified that the words that they use in the home so freely to me generate from hell. That's where they come from. 
And it's been in the Bible for a long time. These words, James chapter 3, verse 6, set, in, set on fire from hell. Uh, the tongue can't be tamed, can it? James says here, listen, you can tame animals, elephants, lions, bears, whales. You can tame all those animals, but you cannot tame the tongue. Proverbs 18.21 says this. Let's read it. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. How many people have been literally assassinated by the tongue. Karen Carpenter was a drummer and a singer. Uh, she was part of that, uh, that duo way back in the 70s called the Carpenters. Uh, she died of a heart attack uh, when she was 32, but it was brought on by years of fighting an eater, eating disorder, anorexia. It came out of a fatal obsession with her weight and was triggered by a single reviewer's comment when referring to Karen, the man called her Richard's chubby sister. And that's all it took. Richard's chubby sister. Well, I'm sure there were other factors in her health, but she decided that she wouldn't be chubby any longer and she uh, incurred uh, the ravages of anorexia and died at age 32 because somebody called her Richard's chubby sister. Do you remember the old statement years ago our parents used to teach us, sticks and stones will break your... But what? Words will never hurt you. I remember my mother used to tell me that. I've decided that that's wrong. Mom, sorry. I remember as a little kid walking to school in Sheridan, and I'm thinking, some of these kids are going to call me names today, but my mother said, sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never hurt you. Now, it sounds good, but it's not true. You know, you can break an elbow, you can break an arm, you can break a leg, and it heals, and it's over, and it's done. But sometimes... The things that people say to you last forever. Sometimes they impair people. It did in the life of Karen Carpenter. And so the Bible is true. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so what we need to do is examine our tongue. How are we presenting ourselves in the world? Um, and uh, he gives here a lesson from nature. And uh, look at verse number 12. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? No, that's impossible. Can a grapevine bear figs? No, that can't happen. Uh, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And, and so the writer here, James, is saying, listen, there should only be one thing coming out of your mouth, and it's not to find its source in hell. Um, because nature produces after its kind. You, you plant an apple tree, you expect what? Apples, right? You plant a peach tree, you expect peaches. God plants a Christian, he expects something from the nature of the Holy Spirit. 
You know, what we say is a dead giveaway to our real soul. How many times have people said something and somebody makes up an excuse and says, oh, they really didn't mean that. Well, I'm, they didn't mean to say that. I know that. But uh, things have to change deeper than the tongue. James here goes on and he talks about the wisdom of the tongue. In verse number 13. Or we'll look at verse 14. But if you have, have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Now here's a word demonic, okay? Now remember I said to you that tongues are set on, on fire from hell. That's what James said. Now he uses the word demonic. These are inspired by demons. Demons do have power over the lives of people who don't know the Lord. Demons do put pressure on our worldly culture to propagate their agenda. And so one of the ways that demons do that is by by getting people to use the vernacular, the, the, the culture of the world's vocabulary, the wisdom of the tongue. You know, there's a reservoir of information from which you and I draw. Uh, the choice of which wisdom you choose belongs to you, and you can choose God's wisdom, or you can choose the wisdom of the world, which you were born with. Uh, you know, whenever we are born into this world, we become a product of it. We think like it. We talk like it. We work the angles like they work the angles. We, we get good at becoming a person of the world. And we, by default, uh, take on their vocabulary. Uh, we are born into this wisdom, this philosophy. But whenever we are saved, we have a chance to have a new wisdom from God, not the wisdom of the world. You know, the wisdom of the world is really cool. It's really cool if you know how to work the angles, talk the talk, uh, make things happen, know the right person, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That's all really cool, but it's not God's wisdom. It comes from hell, according to the Bible. Now, heavenly wisdom, I want you to look at this in your Bible, verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. That word pure means holy. That means like God. So whenever we are saved, God says, listen, I want to give you some wisdom that comes from me that will make you look a little bit like I look in the world. Then look at the next thing. It's first of all pure, and then it's peaceable and gentle. Man, that doesn't sound like the, like the conversations and the battles that I hear in counseling from husband and wife. It's a war in their home. It's a war every day. The Bible says here that the wisdom of God is pure and peaceable and gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruits of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now the second word there, peaceable, is interesting. And it means brings peace with it. 
Whenever you and I are exhibiting the wisdom of the world, we are peacemakers. We bring peace with us, not war, uh, not chaos, not hatred, not clamor. When we come on the scene, we are to exhibit and emanate peace. Our home is to be a place of peace. We're to bring peace with us. That's the wisdom of God. I remember years ago, a man came into my office and he said, Pastor, the only thing I want, he had a lot of things. But the only thing he couldn't get was peace. He said, the only thing I want is peace. Gentleness, that means forbearance. Uh, And the results of this teaching in James 3.18, according to the New Living Translation, says this. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of goodness. Good things come when you plant good seeds. And when you say good things, you plant seeds and you're going to get the right kind of harvest. You plant bad things, you get that harvest. Now, I know that you've been thinking all along, Pastor, why don't you get to the main point? And the main point is this. The problem is not the tongue. It is the what? The heart. Yeah, it's the heart. Uh, Luke 6.45 says this. Let's read it. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Wow. Wow. Here's the solution to the tongue. The solution to the tongue is the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, I know that every now and then you'll get so mad that your brain will disconnect. And your tongue will take over and you will say things that you ask yourself later, where did that come from? But it's too late. You've already said it. Uh, All of us do that. We do. But, But over the long haul, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth is going to speak. What makes the bit and the rudder work the right way? It's the power of a strong hand. Uh, The horseman keeps the power of the horse under control. Uh, Listen, there's only one control. There's only one person who can control our tongue, and that's who? It's God, right? He's the only person that can control anyone's tongue in this room this morning. And And so this is a good thing because we have God at our disposal. He's ready. He wants to help us to speak the language of heaven. And so with that in our mind, let's turn back to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And let's see a tongue set on fire from heaven. We've seen one set on fire from hell. Let's look at one set on fire from heaven. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
These people on the day of Pentecost got a new tongue from God. The miracle of Pentecost is this miracle that God would set people's tongues on fire from heaven. Whoa, how different is that? A person that makes his way through the world and learns all the lingo and all the maneuvers and all the angles, push, knows how to push all the buttons and say all the coolest stuff. Now God says, listen, that's not going to work in my kingdom. None of that here. My kingdom has to be pure. My kingdom has to be a kingdom of peace that you bring into the lives of other people. And I know that you can't do that because you can't tame your tongue. And so you let me do that. You let me send my Holy Spirit into your life. And I will tame your tongue. And I will give you language from heaven. And what is this? Look down at verse number 11. Christians and Arabs, we do hear them speaking in our own tongues. The wonderful works of God. That's, that's the tongue set on fire from heaven. What are we going to talk about? Are we going to talk about gutter talk? Or are we going to talk about the wonderful things of God? Oh, isn't that refreshing in an awful world? Are you ashamed of that? Man, don't be. That's awesome. That's what people really want. The wonderful works of God. Man, just think, if everybody in our church went back to their work this week and, and somebody says, man, I'll tell you what, he's talking about some different stuff than he talked about before. The wonderful works of God. Man, he's had a heart transplant. That's what we need. We need a heart transplant. Peter is a good example. Remember, he denied the Lord, and on the day of Pentecost, he preached a sermon, and 3,000 people were saved. A tongue set on fire from heaven. April 21st, 1855, Edward Kimball went into a Boston shoe store and led D.L. Moody to Christ. Look up D.L. Moody on the Internet. He was one of the greatest evangelists in all the world, and he established the Moody Church in Chicago, which still is a good church to this day. And then they founded Moody Bible Institute, I think, which is stronger today than ever. And sends missionaries and pastors everywhere around the world, year after year after year. And it was because of Edward Kimball. This unknown man that led somebody to Jesus. A tongue set on fire from heaven. You know, there are lots of things that you can talk about in this world. But I'll tell you what, when you talk about the wonderful works of God, God blesses that language. Warren Wiersbe said something unique, and I thought I'd pass it along in conclusion today. He said there are 12 words that can transform your life, and if you want to write them down, you can. They're simple. You've heard them all before. The first one is please. The second two are thank you. They'll transform your life. Treating people with appreciation, not like people or things. The next two are really important, and they are, I'm sorry. Those are magical words, you know that? I'm sorry. Breaking down walls and building bridges. 
And the next three are, I love you. And what that means to me is this. I'm committed to you. I love you. And the next four are these. I'm praying for you. Boy, you know, there's power in those words. I told the people in the first service this morning, Wally Knoll came. People have been praying for Wally's salvation for years, and he came years ago to our church, and we had a little room. I think it was right under this area downstairs, and we were having a, a little discussion on prophecy, and Wally, that kind of piqued his interest. He wanted to be a prophet, I think. And uh, he came to the class on prophecy, and, and I think it was after the class, somebody said, Wally, I've been praying for you. And you know what he said? To that? He said, that touch my heart. And he gave his life to Christ. And he said, just to think that somebody would pray for me. You know, words have power. They really do. I love Ephesians 3.17. It goes like this, that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. You may be filled with the fullness of God. Uh, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. You know, I, I think a lot of times we 